by definition, uh, Judgment Day only comes one time. Uh, there won't be any need for anything after that, that God uh, only intends to bring judgment on the earth uh, one time at the very end. And that will be the great uh, display of God's glory, of God's power in all the earth. So that everyone will see and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that, that the Lord, He is God. Well, what God does throughout history is that He makes displays of His power through judgment. So you think of the, the flood with Noah, that God caused a flood to cover the entire earth to uh, kill everything that has breath, or his display of judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah when fire and, and brimstone came and destroyed these, these great cities. Or you think about the cross, uh, when darkness came over the face of the earth at, in the middle of the day, and people came out of their tombs, and the, the veil of the temple was torn in two. Well, one of the places in the Bible... One of the, the really mountaintop places where God displays his glory, displays his power over all the world is in the book of Exodus in his saving the people of God, saving Israel from slavery. And so we're going to look at God's power. God has the power. God has the power to judge. God has the power to save. If God has the power to judge and the power to save, my prayer for you is that you won't hold out stubbornly against God anymore. That you will confess him as the Lord. That you'll trust in him. You'll trust in his son, Jesus Christ, who died for sinners to save us from judgment, to save us for eternal life. Today we're going to be in book, the book of Exodus. We're going to start in chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. We're going to look at the first six plagues. So there are ten plagues. Look at uh, six, and then three, and then one uh, in the next few weeks. And the first cycle, they kind of come in, these first nine come in cycles of three. And the first cycle is uh, sort of judgments against comfort. Judgments against comfort. Exodus 7, starting with verse 14. Exodus 7, starting with verse 14. Judgments against comfort. Pick up in Exodus 7, verse 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. He lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. All the water in the Nile turned into blood, and the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank. So that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. 
There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand over, uh, with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts, and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow, Moses said, be it as you say so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand and strike the dust of the earth so it may become, become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Well, kind of where we left the story was that uh, Moses had gone in and approached and presented uh, the word of the Lord to Pharaoh before. He had said, let my people go that they may serve me. One of the key words there is the word serve. So uh, Israel had been serving Pharaoh as slaves. God says, you will serve me. I need my people to serve me. The reality is, is that we can only serve one master. When we are freed by Jesus Christ, we're not freed to be independent, but to be freed in service to Jesus Christ, that he is now our Lord. We're freed from the oppressive slavery of sin to serve God, to serve God in fullness. Well, now uh, God says to Moses, I'm going to send you in with another message. He's going to go and meet Pharaoh uh, in the morning. Uh, there are cycles of three. So uh, Moses goes and meets Pharaoh three different times uh, in the morning on three different occasions. So he goes and meets uh, Pharaoh in the morning, probably while Moses, uh, sorry, uh, probably while Pharaoh is headed down to take a bath in the Nile, just like his daughter did in chapter two. He's going down, and God gives Moses this message, and he says, Go out and stretch out your staff over the waters. Uh, over all the surface water, that is the river, 
uh, and over all the, the irrigation canals, all the retention ponds, even over the vessels of water that are in the people's houses. Stretch out your staff and it's going to turn all of it to blood. And the fish all die. That's going to be a source of food for the Egyptians. The fish all die and everything begins to stink. Moses is doing this so that Pharaoh will know that the Lord is God. One of the things you should recognize about the Nile is that the Nile was thought of as a deity by the Egyptians. It's thought of as their God. It was the source of their life. Everything that made Egypt great was based on this river. In fact, if you look at the ancient civilizations of the world, they're almost entirely based around these great rivers. It is, it is necessary that they have these great rivers. And so they see all their life as coming from this river. Who has power over the waters? Who has power over the river? It's God. God is the one who reigns. In fact, this is kind of a, you can kind of think of Pharaoh as, and his gods as the number one contenders against the Lord, who is God. And what God is doing is showing his power over Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. So this is, a, this is a head-on collision between the God of the Nile and the Lord, who is God. And God is the one who is winning. God is the one who is, is showing Pharaoh who the real God is. Who is God? It is the Lord. One of the things that happens, though, is that the, uh, the Egyptian magicians, they're able to do the same thing. So uh, I would assume in a smaller amount, uh, they are able to take some water and they're able to make it turn red or make it look like blood or turn it into blood in some way by their secret arts. And so this is enough to convince Pharaoh that, well, you know, if my guys can do it, well, then maybe it's not such a big deal. You know, this is, this is, this is just my gods against the, the God of the Hebrews. And so if my guys can do it, then that's enough of an excuse for Pharaoh uh, to harden his heart against the Lord and not to believe. It's not a very good reason. God is able to turn all the water in the Nile all over, all over Egypt, uh, all the irrigation ponds, all the, all the canals, all the, all, the, all the vessels with water turned all into blood. Uh, the magicians are able to copy that. One of the things we have to recognize is that false prophets are able to do false signs. It's enough to deceive Pharaoh. And so he hardens his heart. His heart remains hardened. We also see that the, the uh, Egyptians are able to go and, and buy the Nile and dig these shallow wells. So they're able to get water. Uh, they're without, where the, the plague lasts for seven days. We're probably a, supposed to understand by this that essentially all, each of the plagues last for about seven days. Or they come at seven, uh, seven day intervals. But they can go and, they can go and drink. So uh, basically... This is a, a kind of severe nuisance. It doesn't kill anybody. It just makes it really, really hard for them to live. They have to go down and do what they've never had to do before. Before they went down to this river, that was the source of their life. They get water. They bring it back home. It's not a big deal. Pharaoh is able to look at this, and he's able to harden his heart. So God tells Moses, go back to Pharaoh. Go back to Pharaoh and tell him this time, this time he's going to go into his court, uh, go into where Pharaoh's throne room is. And you tell him that I'm going to send a plague of frogs. Again, this is a, this is a shot against the, the, the gods of Egypt. Uh, the fertility god for the Egyptians had a head of a frog. 
And so their goddess had this frog head. Here, here God is showing, though, I have the power. I have the power of fertility. I have the power uh, to multiply. I have the power to make things swarm. Even as earlier he had made the Israelites to swarm all over Egypt. They had multiplied and filled Egypt. So I'm going to fill Egypt with frogs. They're going to be everywhere. They're going to be in your bedroom. They're going to be up on your bed. They're gonna, you're going to uh, open up your ovens, and they're going to be frogs jumping out. They're going to be frogs in your, in your uh, drinking vessels and in, in everything. Everywhere you go, there are going to be frogs everywhere. Again, uh, I know at least one person who's a little bit afraid of the green frogs on their window, but frogs aren't going to hurt anybody. Uh, frogs, this is just a major nuisance. But they're, they're showing, God is showing his ability you know, the thing is, is and you saw this with the, the plague of blood, it says Pharaoh did not even take this to heart. Like, like God, is, God is slowly ramping things up. God doesn't, God do, doesn't turn the volume from, from 1 to 10 right away. He is surely, uh, slowly, patiently, you might say mercifully, showing Pharaoh that he's the Lord. When that's, uh, the, the plague of frog is what, frogs is what happens next. They're everywhere. Uh, and again, uh, Pharaoh's magicians are able to mimic this. They're able to make it happen uh, again. But here's the problem. Pharaoh doesn't need the magicians of Egypt to make more water turn into blood. Like, how does that benefit anybody? The, the, the magicians, uh, Pharaoh doesn't need the magicians of Egypt to make more frogs. He needs them to stop the frogs. Who can do that? Well, you look in the middle of the story there, verse 8, Pharaoh, Pharaoh called Moses and said to him, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I'll let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. My magicians can't do anything about these frogs. They can't do anything about this plague. Please pray to your God to stop this plague. Pray to your God to stop this judgment. And do you see what Moses does? Pharaoh, you, you do the honor of telling me when you want this plague to stop. So that you will know that there is no God like our God. Our God decides when plagues begin and when they end. And only he decides. So you just tell me when he wants to stop. And Pharaoh says, tomorrow, Moses goes out, he prays, and the, the frogs die, and they pile them up into big heaps, and they begin to stink. This is this great country, this great civilization, this great land, a kind of, a, kind of a, 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 the nearest we could get to, to paradise on earth, and it stinks. Now then, what does Pharaoh do? When he sees that there is a, is a break in the action, that there is some relief, he hardens his heart again. Isn't this the way it is with people? When, when hard times come, when, when God tries to get people's attention, and they sort of they sort of turn back or they, they face some consequences for their sin and they, they, they have this sort of temporary repentance and then yet when there's relief, what happens? They go back to their old ways. Shows that their hearts aren't really changed. Their hearts really aren't different. 
the repentance wasn't real. Let's take a minute before we look at the third plague to, to look at verse 15 and kind of think about verse 15. It says, But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. One of the things that God said in chapter 4 was that he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He was going to make it where uh, Pharaoh would not listen. He said the same thing in chapter 7. And so I want to talk to you, uh, step back and reflect on, on two words, uh, concurrence and causation. All right, so think about it this way. When we drive a car, we're both going to go in a vehicle someplace. I can drive or you can drive, but under normal circumstances, we can't both drive. One of us is going to drive the car. One of us is not going to drive the car. And if we run into a tree, it's going to be whoever is driving the car, they're going to be the ones who, is, who are uh, the one who is responsible for the wreckage. Now, that's the way it is with human beings, is that I drive the car or you drive the car. It's, it's similar with human hearts, that I have my heart and I'm the driver of my, my car. I'm the one, if I wreck my life, if Pharaoh wrecks himself, he's the one who is responsible. And yet, there is something that God does that human beings can't do and don't do. And every Christian knows this. If we, we, we sometimes pray before we go on a trip, maybe a long trip, we pray, what do we ask God for? We ask God that he would keep us safe. Because who's the one ultimately directing us to our destination? Ultimately, it's, it's God. So what human beings can't do, we can't both drive the car. God, in some way, is able to act in and with and through other causes. This is what's called concurrence. That is, God is acting concurrently or at the same time with what we do. And so we could talk about different levels of causation. So we could talk about when Pharaoh is, is sinning against God or hardening himself against God, we could talk about the, the, uh, the um, corruption that he inherits from Adam. We could talk about his own sinfulness up until this time. We could talk about the way he is sinfully hardening his heart. We could talk about our sinful natures. We could talk about all those things. We could also say God is the one who hardens his heart. And we would read that in some places that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And we would read in other places that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And we would read in other places that Pharaoh hardens his own heart. We're not supposed to think about this in terms of sometimes God hardens his heart and sometimes something else hardens his heart or sometimes he hardens his own heart. We're supposed to understand that God is acting in and with and through the things that Pharaoh's doing. That it's right to say that Pharaoh hardens his heart, and it's right to say that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Now then we, we think about this. On the one hand, we dare not say that Pharaoh is not responsible for his actions. He's the one driving. And when he wrecks himself and all of Egypt, it's his fault. He's responsible. He's the one judged. And yet at the same time, we also recognize that the, the causation the, the, the act of the uncaused one, the one who says, I am, that he is the one who hardens Pharaoh's heart. That, that's a paradox. paradox. Uh, that is, it's something that is, is seemingly inconsistent, 
that is beyond human comprehension, and yet the Bible affirms it clearly. And so we say Pharaoh hardened his heart, and we say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And when we say that, we don't just say, hey, the the Bible teaches both, so yeah, that's it, and we say it kind of casually. In fact, we should say with the same level of intensity and forcefulness and, and recognition, God causes all that is. The Bible says that forcefully, clearly. And so when we say that, we say it forcefully and clearly. We don't try and explain it away. We don't try and say it's not there. We say God did it because it happened. At the same time, the Bible clearly holds human beings responsible for their actions. He meets out the consequences for what they do. The Bible clearly says that, and so we say it just as clearly. We don't hold back from holding people responsible or calling people to be responsible for their sins because we know that God is sovereign over all. Instead, we do what the Bible says. We say what the Bible says. We say what the Bible says with the same, to the same extent and with the same level of forcefulness and intensity that the Bible says it. And we recognize the one who is primary. God is the uncaused one. God is the one who declares the end from the beginning. God is the one who wrote our days even before we were as yet, when as yet there were none. God is the one who does it. God takes Pharaoh and he raises him up and puts him on a stage and says, I'm going to show the world who is God. And what he says is, the Lord is God. God does that. And God hardens Pharaoh's heart. As a part of God's plan, Pharaoh hardens Pharaoh's heart. Uh, We could bring in the actions of Satan into this. He is the one who deceives. He is the one who blinds. He is the one who is at act, who, who is at work. He is the spirit who is at work in the sons of disobedience. But Pharaoh is responsible, and God is demonstrating his power over the most powerful man on the earth. Pharaoh's the number one contender. God says, I've got your heart in my hand, and so you will harden your heart. Now then, let's look at the last plague. The last plague is the plague of gnats. Pharaoh goes out. This is the one without warning. This is the way the cycles go. Meet Pharaoh in the morning, meet Pharaoh in the courts, and then a, 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 a plague without warning. Fa- uh, Moses goes up and strikes the, the dirt, uh, and the dirt turns into gnats. And in fact, the, the, the word in the original languages for gnats actually, I mean, it's, it's pretty broad. We're talking about gnats, fleas, lice, Uh, mosquitoes attacking Egyptian bodies. And you know, notice what happens with the magicians. Look in chapter 8, verse uh, 10. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man on beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of... Actually, probably the way they say it, this is the finger of a God. Only a God can do this. We can't do this. This is the, this is the real deal. This is not a trick. You can't, you, can't, you can't train gnats, okay? This is God. 
Now then, Pharaoh is gradually having his reasons for unbelief taken away and his reasons for belief put right in his face. And still, look at verse, verse 19, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. It's one of the things we have to recognize about, about faith and about the human heart and about unbelief. Faith is reasonable. People come up with all kinds of reasons for their unbelief. Unbelief is unreasonable. To, to look at what God has made, to see all the ways that God has displayed his power and glory on the earth, and to remain in unbelief is not reasonable. That's not good thinking. And you can put it before people many, many good reasons to believe, as we ought to. It is not sufficient to cause them to believe. God who makes the heart stubborn is also the God who makes the heart willing. And God acts at the level of the heart to transform people so that people see. The human heart is sinful. It is, we are by nature children of wrath. Unless that's transformed, we will never believe. God is the one who changes. God is the one who leads us into belief, leads us into faith. And so we should put the reasons for faith before people and know that it is the Spirit of God who changes people. Now we look at this second cycle that we're going to look at today, the second cycle of plagues, and these are judgments on uh, wealth and on body. Judgments on wealth and body. Look at verse 20. Starting with Exodus chapter 8, verse 20, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell. So that no swarms of flies shall be there. That you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln. Let let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them. As the Lord had spoken to Moses. Moses goes out to meet Pharaoh in the morning again. This is the, the way the cycles work. And he says, uh, this time I am going to make flies come on all the, the Egyptians. Now, when I was a kid and I heard this story, I always thought like house flies are just kind of gross. Uh, but in reality, again, the, 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 the term for flies is pretty open. We're talking horse flies, deer flies, all kinds, of, all kinds of flying insects that can swarm and bite people and make people's lives miserable. Again, this is, this is kind of an kind of attack on their body. I mean, just the last few days, we kind of had some horse flies. It's that time of year in South Louisiana. Some horse flies around. Imagine them swarming all over your body, swarming all over your food, swarming all over your children, and and they're under your feet, and you can't go anywhere where there are not flies. Now, there's something new that's introduced in in Moses telling this plague. He talks about how there's going to be a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites who live in Goshen. Now, we're not to think that there there was not a distinction with, say, the, the plague of blood or the uh, the plague of uh, gnats or, or any of that kind of thing. But, but this, is the, this is the way the, the storytelling is, is made, is that we're to assume there's been a distinction all along. But here, God is bringing that distinction to Pharaoh's attention. Pharaoh, I want you to, I want you to mark. I want you to notice. I want you to, why don't you go and send people out to Goshen? Send people out and, and, and get, some, get some intelligence about what's going on in the land. And you'll see nothing's happened to the Israelites. It's the way that God is able to work. God is able to make a distinction between the judgments that he brings on the godless, on the stubborn, and the way that he is able to save his people. Uh, One of the ways that we could summarize the whole theme of the Bible is that it is about salvation through judgment. That is, the flood, it was Noah and his family being brought through the waters the, the waters of judgment were on everybody else, but they were being brought through that. The way we could talk about the Exodus is God's people being saved through judgment, even through the Red Sea. Judgment is coming on God's enemies, and salvation is coming for God's people. And that's how we were to think about the day of the Lord, about the day of judgment. That on that day, God is able to judge all sin, and yet at the same time, save his people. God is able to make a distinction 
The other thing is, he says that the flies are going to ruin Egypt. Egypt is this great civilization, this great country. How do you ruin a vacation? How do you ruin paradise on earth? Sin swarms of flies. This is a, this is a, a land of, of, of plenty. And God is making it stink, ruining it, ruining it for the Egyptians. Well, here, Pharaoh, with this, with this one, Pharaoh tries to bargain. He essentially says to the Israelites, to Moses, hey, y'all go have your festival, go make your sacrifices, just don't go very far so I can recover you later. This is the way the unbelieving mind thinks. Tries to negotiate with God. Now, to negotiate or to bargain with someone, you have to have something to bring to the table or maybe something to pull away from the table. One of the things Paul asks in, in 2 Corinthians is, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you bring to the table that is going to make God rich? What is it that you're going to bring to the table and negotiate with God with? Nothing. We don't bargain with God. We don't negotiate with God. God says, I am God. I will be your God. You will be my people is what he says to the Israelites. There's, there's no negotiation. There's no bargaining. God demands our full devotion. You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your strength. Full, complete devotion. Jesus demands our full devotion. A man came to Jesus one time, Luke 18, says, uh, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus tells him the, the commandments. Go keep the commandments. The guy says, okay, I, I've, I've kept them all since I was young. I'll go do that. And then Jesus turned to this man who was a, a rich man, and he said, now go sell everything that you have and follow me. You shall love the Lord Jesus with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus does not bargain. Jesus does not negotiate. Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. He says, take up your cross and follow me. He says, deny yourselves. He says, renounce everything, even your own life. Follow me. Paul says, I counted everything as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and being found in him. Jesus demands everything. There's no negotiating. There's no Jesus commands me to do this and I think I'll go, well, maybe I just won't go too far. Jesus demands all. All our bodies and our minds and our hearts and our strength, everything that we produce, it's all God's. It all belongs to Jesus. He will not negotiate with us. Pharaoh tries to negotiate. He says that he'll let the people go. Moses goes and prays. When Pharaoh sees that it's over, he hardens his heart again. And so the next plague is the plague on livestock. Moses goes out, says there's going to be a plague on all the livestock. 
Uh, and all the livestock in Egypt lived. Now, when it says that all, one of the things that you're going to see in the plagues that come is that there are still livestock around. So I think that we are supposed to understand by this that all kinds of livestock all over the place were dying. So you look at verse 3, and it talks about there were uh, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, the flocks, like all different kinds. Normally, uh, diseases in animals are often species-specific. That is, you might have the cattle die, but not the flocks, or you might have the, the sheep and the goats die, but not the cattle. Here, they're all dying all over the place. And this is striking at the wealth of the Egyptians. This is their capital. You take, you take somebody who is a herdsman and you kill all their herds, they don't have anything. That's all their wealth. This is like, you know, the, the 2008 recession times a million. This is, this is everything that they rely on for their life, for their livelihoods being taken away. You know, one of the things that Pharaoh does is he goes out, he goes out and sends out, send somebody to Goshen, get me a report from Goshen, and not a single one of the Israelites' animals are dead. One of the things that God is able to do is he is able to plunder the Egyptians while enriching the Israelites. He's able to save. Still, Pharaoh does not let the people go. And then we see the last plague in this cycle is the plague of boils. It's interesting the way, the way that this one is. Moses uh, and Aaron take soot from the kiln. I kind of remember what the, what the Israelites were doing for the Egyptians. They were baking bricks. So go take some soot uh, from the kiln where those bricks were baked. Remember that the Egyptians had made life hard and bitter for the Israelites. Take that and throw it up in the air. becomes dust. And it causes boils all over people's bodies. And remember the first three plagues, there was no real, there, there was kind of this really severe nuisance, this really severe uh, discomfort with the, with the biting flies. Now it moves into their, moves into their bodies, takes away, taking away their wealth. Now there is disease on them. And look at the magicians. The magicians, Moses, notice the play on words. Moses can come and stand before Pharaoh but the magicians with boils all over their faces and sores all over their faces can't stand before Moses. God is displaying his power, conquering even the false prophets of Egypt. Don't harden your heart against the Lord. The Lord is, the Lord is powerful. The Lord is powerful to save. The Lord is powerful to judge. The Lord can make a distinction between those who are his and those who aren't. There's nothing outside of the Lord's control. The Lord is judging Pharaoh and the Egyptians who enslaved his people, and he's saving his people. And let's not forget who is the one who saves. You guys can flip over if you want to, or you can just listen carefully to Jude 5. Jude 5. Jude, verse 5. Listen. It says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, 
that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroys those, destroyed those who did not believe. Who's saving the Israelites? Jesus. Jude says, Jesus saved the Israelites. God tells Joseph, you will name him Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. You will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. There's something much worse than slavery. Slavery is this kind of picture of what, what it looks like for us to be in bondage to sin, serving other masters, serving other passions, serving sin. Jesus Christ is the one who saves us from our sins. As he saved the Israelites from the bondage in Egypt, so he saves those who believe in him from sin. We all start out with stubborn hearts, unbelieving hearts, hearts that deserve judgment. But Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for sinners, to save sinners like you and me, to save a people from their sins, to save his people from their sins, if we would trust in him. Let us remember our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who delivered a people from slavery in Egypt and the one who delivers us from the penalty for our sins. We deserve what Pharaoh deserves. Jesus saved us out of it. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we praise you, and with you we praise your son Jesus, who with mighty signs and wonders delivered a people, who plundered the Egyptians, who conquered them, who saved them out of the fiery furnace of Egypt, who saved them out of bitterness, saved them out of death. We praise you. We praise you and with you, your son, Jesus Christ, for his work on the cross. By the great signs and wonders that he performed, showing us what the kingdom of God looks, looks like. And he would die on the cross to save us from our sins. Please grant that we would be saved from our sins. That we would be saved from judgment. That we would no longer be stubborn in hearts, but willing to believe. Help our unbelief. Grant that we will be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.